like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. What a treat we have today for you for Song of the Soul. You know the road less traveled? Well, today we're going completely off-road of even that road to a creative and deep place where few have trodden before. My guest is Von Nu, and her music is an invitation to deep listening and spiritual depths, using things like flutes, percussion, found sounds, and field recordings, Vaughn says she creates sonic playgrounds over which she improvises. She also notes that, My intention as an artist is to promote peace-building and nonviolence by modeling the power of listening and the expression of defiant joy. One more expression from Vaughn will give you an even better idea of her beautiful, quirky creativity. Her tagline is, Raising Consciousness One Eyebrow at a Time. Get ready for music and sonic weaving like you've never heard before as Vaughn New joins us from New York State. Vaughn, I'm really pleased to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. You heard about me. I heard about you through our mutual friend, Sally, who was on a, a month ago or so. What's your connection to her? Is it just the Quaker connection or is there a musical connection as well? It's mostly a Quaker connection, but I teach a workshop called Sounding the Divine, and I taught it at the uh, Friends General Conference gathering for the last four years. And a few years ago, Sally took my workshop. Why don't we get people started right away with your variety of music? What song do you want to start off with? As you mentioned when we were talking before we started, my music is not folk music. It's a far stretch from folk music. So it might be something a lot of people haven't heard anything quite like it before. So let's start with one that will get folks warmed up. It's not quite as difficult to listen to as maybe some of the others. So let's start with Callings. And why Callings? Why is this part of your Song of the Soul? I, when I heard the word Callings, I had a Quaker conception of it right away. I'm being led in a direction because I'm being called to do something. Is that the origin or is there something else? That is the origin. I actually wrote this piece when a partner of mine, a dear friend, was being ordained as a Unitarian Universalist minister. And so this piece was written to be performed at her ordination service. She's also an avid bird watcher, and so that would explain all the bird calls. So it was a, it was a play on words, callings being bird calls and callings being following a leading or, or a calling to service or to ministry. Thank you. 
Callings by Von New. She's here today for Song of the Soul, sharing her very creative and wide-ranging music. So I'm curious, because your music is so far off the beaten path, you know, you're not going to take it and rock down at the disco with it or something like that. That's true. And it's really hard to find settings. It's really hard to find an open mic because a lot of my setup, as you'll hear later on, a lot of it is it requires some tech setup. It's not like I can just show up with an acoustic guitar and play a song. It takes a few minutes to get me set up and ready to go. So it is very hard. That's one of my challenges is that I don't really fit into a genre. And even when there's a performance venue that is centered around a particular genre of music, I often still don't fit there. So sometimes I just play for myself as a form of worship or as a form of edification, something that I feel that I have to do. I live in upstate New York right now. I used to live in Florida. And when I lived in Florida, I did find more places that I was able to bring my music. And one of the experiences that I had that I found extremely enriching was that uh, my meeting asked me to put on a concert there at the meeting. And I actually did that, did one of those here at my current meeting, which is Bullshead. But the one in Florida, there was something really special about it because I hadn't yet asked for membership. I was in discernment about becoming a member. I had been in worship with friends there, and a lot of the music that arose came to me during Meeting for Worship. In Meeting for Worship, friends will often receive a message, and they'll stand up and speak what the message is. Well, the messages were coming to me in a form that could not be spoken because it wasn't in words. And it wasn't like I could just stand up and sing them because that's not my medium. That's not the work that I do. I felt very frustrated because I kept getting all this ministry and didn't have a way to get it out. So I went home and I would work on these pieces and I would record them. And I stored up ministry for about two years and didn't really know what to do with it. And I was... As I was discerning membership, I was speaking to one of the friends who was an elder in the meeting, and I, and I told her about this. And she said, well, we should have a concert where you give all your ministry all at once. It was such an amazing experience. We did exactly that. We said it an evening, and it coincided with a nationwide movement of people giving concerts for peace. And so I joined that movement of concerts for peace, put the word out. Went in and set up the meeting house with my speakers and, you know, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a subwoofer in the meeting house, mom. What are we going to do with that? <laughs> uh, subwoofers, computers, drums, electronics, speakers all over the place. Well, I set it all up and then I, I left to go home and change clothes and get ready. And when I came, I had, I had set up a facing bench behind me and I'd asked some friends who I felt close to, to sit with me as elders and hold me in prayer while I played, prayed. And what I wanted to do, because I knew a lot of people would be coming to this concert because it was a peace concert or because they knew my music from other places, I knew that they would be coming and they would never have experienced what Quaker worship was about. So I wanted them to have that experience as well as hearing my music. So my idea was that this would be a meeting for worship where I would play out of the silence and then play one of these pieces and then go back into silence and play another piece. And I had asked these friends to sit on the facing bench. I went home. I came back. wanted to come a little early so I'd be all set. And I walked into the room, and those friends were already on the bench. And they were already holding me and the room in prayer. So that the experience that I wanted for the audience 
turned out to be an experience that I received for myself. And it was so special. I, that night is in my memory as one of the most profound moments of music making that I've ever experienced. You talk about the music as messages, and I've been very open to this idea that messages don't only come in words. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid sometimes we feel like, even though we call it in Quaker circles, we call it unprogrammed worship, where there's no predefined, here's what's going to, people are going to say or do or anything, that silent listening to the divine out of which messages may arise. I've had messages come out in form of movement and song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not just in words. I'm thankful that you were open to and listening to the options, listening to it in other ways. How did you get to that place? Because I think most people by our society get trained to look in the straight and narrow. You know, this is the expected behavior. Was there something that predisposed you to look more widely? Hmm. I think I was always predisposed in that way. And one thing that's important is that I was a improvisational musician delving into the experimental and the avant-garde before I ever stepped foot into a meeting house. So when I came to Quaker worship, I had already had the experience of being led because I think all improvisers will tell you that the experience of playing spontaneous music is about responding to something that's going on. You don't always know what's going to happen next. You don't have a moment to think it through. And that's the point. You don't think it through. You practice listening. You practice listening deeply. You practice listening spiritually. You practice listening to one another and to your environment and to your heart. And the music arises from that. So my experience of that process was kind of how I moved from being very happy as a a secular humanist to having a more spiritual life. The process of making music spontaneously was really my awakening as a person of spirit or as as a, a spiritual seeker. So when I stepped into the Quaker world and I heard friends talking about things like leadings, I had already had direct experience of that. I knew what a leading was because a leading for me was When I hear something being played, I'm going to play this and I'm going to follow that leading. I had had the experience of realizing that the music was not coming out of me, but moving through me. I really felt like that's exactly the same experience that friends have when they rise in ministry. And when one improvises with a group of people, with a group of other musicians, if you've never had this experience, it's hard to even grasp what it feels like, but it feels so amazing. It's like you become one. You become a cohesive one thing. And all of a sudden, you have like this shared consciousness and you can stop on a dime. You can change a tempo all at the same time. You can change the key you're playing in without really any, you don't even know how you're communicating. It's like you're a flock of starlings and you can watch them turn and you don't even know that they know how they're communicating here. Now we're going to turn now. Having had that experience and then walking into Quaker unprogrammed worship, that to me translated to a gathered meeting where we become a corporate body. We become not a bunch of individuals sitting quietly in a room, but we become one body, one transpersonal connected consciousness. So the idea that 
we have that connection to each other when we're listening that deeply is very translatable between what we do, what Quakers do in worship and what improvising musicians do with each other. I teach a workshop called Sounding the Divine. My goal in that workshop is to help friends who've had the experience in worship expand the palette of how they can experience that connection and also expand the palette of how ministry might arise from that connection. And I wanted to try and find a way to make that accessible to people who have no musical training, who, who are not musicians, or to make it accessible to musicians who have never experienced that spontaneous improvisation. A lot of musicians, especially I think in the Quaker world, have a repertoire of songs and training, but they're playing music that's already been written down. And the idea of playing completely unprogrammed is not something I run into a lot in the Quaker world. So what I wanted to do is say, look, this is what unprogrammed worship is. Let's make it tangible and something that we could actually see and feel and hear and smell by putting other senses at work in what we're doing. That sounds so powerful to me. And I've got my own personal experiences about that that I want to share with you a little bit later. But first, I think we need to listen to a little bit more of your music to have more of an auditory, tactile sense, maybe, of how you go about doing this. So could you share another bit of your music? Well, I think another one that we might want to listen to at this point is called Spirals. And it's kind of a long piece, but I'm going to ask you to just sort of bear with it, because this really did come out of worship and just from listening to sound. And one of the instruments that you're going to hear in this piece is a steel drum, a steel pan drum, you know, like the kind that they play in uh, the Caribbean. It doesn't sound at all like the Caribbean style because what I'm doing with it is I'm actually rolling Super Bowls around inside the pan. That's what that is. I knew. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have given it away. I had the idea of some balls on some surface but I wasn't sure on what surface. I had been sitting in my apartment in, in Kingston, New York, and for some reason, this I just like it was a Saturday morning, and I was just thinking, I really wish I had a steel drum. I wish I had a steel drum. And then I started getting online, and I wanted to see, well, how much do they cost? And they were like $900, $1,000. And I was, oh, well, I guess I can't have a steel drum. And I said, I guess I'll go down to the bakery and get a loaf of bread for breakfast instead. And I went down to the bakery, and on the way back up the hill, I looked over, and there was a tag sale. The tag sale for Midwesterners, that's what New Yorkers call a garage sale or a yard sale. So I went over to the tag sale, and there was a steel drum. And it had a price tag on it of $30. (laughs) (laughs) And I I walked up to Talk about being led. I know, and I said, well, would you take 25? And she said, sure. (laughs) So, you know, here I was walking home with my loaf of bread and my steel drum. I didn't have really mallets or anything to play it with, so I had this thing of Super Bowls that I'd been using for something else, and I started throwing them in, and I just found that I couldn't stop. It was, like, such a fun thing to do. So, anyway, that's how this piece came about, Spirals.
We're visiting today with Von Nu. That song was Spirals. One thing about that song that you might not guess is that that was actually a live recording. It was played at a live performance at a museum in Schenectady with a friend who was doing live video at the time, and we did that in surround sound. I had a, a headset microphone and a computer in one hand and some percussion instruments in another hand and super balls in another hand, and everything was done spontaneous live all at one time, all one shot. Now, I'm counting the number of hands, and it passed up two. Well, <laughs> my, my, I'm left-handed, so my left are, are hand... Are you from India? <laughs> no, but my left hand was doing the Super Bowls, and that, that's all it ever did was the Super Bowls. And the other hand was, was moving from percussion to computer and all that, and then I had the headset on and was doing some vocalizing there. Okay. Well, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Song of the Soul. And I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, for this Northern Spirit Radio production. Our website is northernspiritradio.org. On that site, you can find all of our productions of the last seven years, and there's a lot of wonderful guests there with a wide variety of talent and topics. You'll also find links to those guests, and you'll find a place to post comments, and even better, you could leave a donation. Donations is how I get forward in this world for this full-time job, trying to transform the world through the music and talk that we share here for Northern Spirit Radio. So again, go to northernspiritradio.org. Again, we're visiting with Von Nu. She's out in New York State. The song we just listened to, you heard, was Spirals. What were you envisioning as that song was going on? What, what was happening inside you, Vaughn, as you're doing that? You know, I'm listening. I'm, I'm kind of listening and responding. I have a little bit planned out. And I think of that as kind of building a setting, or I would think of it as a sonic playground. So what I do with that is I, I create that as, as sort of a, a minimal structure. And then when I begin to play... I feel like what I'm doing is I'm improvising within that structure that I've created. With the spirals, I was really kind of thinking of the music of the spheres, the sense of spiraling into the depths or spiraling out of and into the cosmos, feeling the centering of that spiral. As I was building that piece, as I said, I'm left-handed, and I was, I was spinning the balls in a certain way so that I would release them over here, and then they'd spin around, and I'd catch them. And I use two balls at once so that I can keep one moving while I'm catching the other one. And it's a very hypnotic, centering exercise that's just that as a, as a practice, as a meditation practice, was how the rest of the piece got built. It just sort of built itself but one thing that was interesting is as I was doing that, it, was, it started out going in one direction, and I felt my body tighten up. I felt my chest get tight. I felt my breathing get labored, and I felt this tension in my body. And all of a sudden, it was like this revelation that says, go the other way. <laughs> so I started spinning the balls in the other direction, and all of a sudden, I just felt very open and relaxed. And it was almost like turning a screw. That's amazing. I'm a dancer, and so some of my knowledge of leadings come from that. I think we're going to do something a little bit unorthodox for these programs. I'm going to share a piece of poetry that I wrote inspired by both my sense of dance as my response to the divine and just my love of dance. I think you do it with sound, and I probably do the same thing with dance. Here's the poem. Waltz with me, God, or maybe let's cha-cha. So many dance lonesome, 
I'm so happy I've got you, to whirl me and twirl me or maybe just stroll. When I yield to your leading, my life becomes whole. Swing with me, God, you could toss in a shottish. I can dance alone fine, but with you I'm part goddish. A dipping and weaving in free-flowing time, my just-fine-dance talents become motion sublime. Right on. So does that sound like I'm doing on the dance level what you do with your music? Is that comparable at all? It feels very comparable. And it also feels like we're not alone in that. You know, there was a workshop at the FGC gathering this summer called Leadings in Ecstatic Dance. There's a Sufi movement that does dances for universal peace. And your poem actually reminds me of some Sufi poetry. I feel that movement and rhythm and sound are so essential to the embodiment of spirituality. And I feel that that's a really important way to supplement our spiritual practices. I I feel like friends, we sit in these chairs and we're missing out on a lot not getting up out of them, moving and enjoying the fun and joy that comes with moving with great abandon and spirit. I'd like to see us do a lot more of that. Well, and if you have anything to say about it, which you do, if you've done that workshop the past four years at the Friends General Conference gathering, I'm sure that you're planting seeds all over the place. And you do (laughs) offer these workshops out to other places. Absolutely. And I love to go and visit people and give this workshop. In October, I'll be visiting friends at Multnomah meeting in Portland, Oregon to do this workshop. Over the spring, I had an opportunity to visit St. Petersburg, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, and up in the Twin Cities. So I adore getting to go travel and meet friends and worship with them and experience their meetings and bring some of the sounding of the divine and the dancing and the movement. And we don't just do those things either. We invite visual art and ringing of bells and just glorious celebration of spirit. One thing that I think is really cool when we expand what ministry can be in our meetings beyond just words, is that we change what it means to leave space between messages. When we're talking in words, it has to be very sequential because we can only hear one set of words at a time. And if two people talk at the same time, you can't understand either of them. But certainly we can sing or play music or dance all at the same time. And it doesn't detract, it enhances one another if we're all listening and all tuned in. And so we have a whole different experience of what that means to listen to one another and to be cohesive and a a body. I find that totally exciting and sexy and amazing. I'll take a moment right now to let listeners know that they should go out to northernspiritradio.org to hear a song and some interview that we won't have time to share here. It'll be under the excerpts for this interview with Von New, and you'll find Von New's song, Friction, a celebration of rubbing things together. And you'll also find our discussion of her soulful history with music, from her experience with piano to cornet and onward, including, notably, the ways she was kept from playing drums because of being a girl. But right now, let's get back to your music, Vaughn, and share another of your songs. You've got four CDs out there, and when I think of dance and sexy and exciting and your music, I think of your danceable CD, which is uh, maybe it's your second or your third CD, something like that. The second one, it's a soundtrack to a belly dance ballet that was performed in 2003 called Dreaming in the Proximity of Mars. 
If you recall, Mars came very close to the Earth in August of 2003. So I collected dreams that people had in the weeks prior and the weeks right after that event, made this dance piece out of it. Could you give us another sample of the kind of work that you do? Well, since we've been talking about dance, let's play a piece that is not so electronic. It's all just acoustic percussion, live loops, and it's called Open Hand. And this is, this is something that I did when I was working with a lot of belly dancers. Open Hand by Von New, some of the delightful different music that she makes, puts together. Those are pretty much instruments that you were using there, Von. <laughs> Is this all you? Yeah, that was all I'm, me. And I actually, again, that was live, but not from start to finish. What I did is I played that live, and then I excerpt a piece out of the middle to actually put on the recording. You talk about using in your music found sound, just everything out there. I'm imagining you walking down the street, collecting a symphony 
as you walk. Every little sound, you know, here's the gurgling that's happening in the sewer Ah. or the squealing of the wheels of a a car going by, etc. Absolutely. That that you just you know me very well. All of a sudden you just that you just bagged me right there. Okay. (laughs) You should see me try to do the dishes. It's. Hey, listen to what this pot lid sounds like when I hit it and immerse it in water at the same time. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, the kitchen is soaking wet everywhere and the dishes still aren't clean. But we've just had a symphony of bubble suds and pots and pans banging around. Well, keep us going with some more of your cool and unusual music, Vaughn. Well, you mentioned found sound and walking down the street and finding unusual sounds. So I would like... To play Star Grind next, which Star Grind is not one that I just happened upon. It's a sound that I actually kind of went out and deliberately looked for. There's a group of amateur astronomers in St. Petersburg, Florida, that general vicinity. And what they do is they grind their own telescopes. They get these huge slabs of glass and they make their own grinders. And then by hand, they just go around and around. Hundreds and hundreds of hours they spend until they make exactly the right concave surface, which they then coat with a reflective device to make a mirror. And that's what they build their telescope from. And I had a friend who was sort of interested in that. And he was telling me about these guys. And I thought, oh, that has to sound so cool. So one morning, I got my recording gear together, and I, I drove over to the museum where they were getting together, and there they were, grinding their telescopes. And I told them, you know, that I was a musician, and I wanted to record them. And they, here are these guys who are grinding glass by hand for hundreds of hours. And I told them what I was doing, and they said, well, I guess it takes all kinds. <laughs> they thought I was strange. <laughs> But anyway, I got some amazing field recordings from these fellas doing their grinding. And I built this musical piece called Star Grind out of that. And one thing that intrigued me was they're looking to see the stars. And to see the stars, which is so big, they've got to get down to these minute particles of glass and grit. And so, again, it's like that inside being tiny, 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 and the outside being huge, huge, huge. And they're both the same sides, or the the two sides of the same coin. So that's another piece of that. Star Grind by Von New.
Von News piece called Stargrind. She's with us here today for Song of the Soul. Her website, vonnew.com. Von is V-O-N-N, and new, obviously, is N-E-W, so you've got three N's in a row there. Of course, if you forget this, just come to northernspiritradio.org. I'll have a link to her on my site. You can find two of her CDs that are currently available, and maybe she'll bring back a third, or maybe even the fourth, if we're really nice and ask politely. Maybe if you're really nice, I'll put some free downloads up there for you. (laughs) Yeah, so come to vonnew.com to check that out. Stargrind was our last gift from her. You know, something you said way back when we were first talking, Vaughn, you mentioned you were a secular humanist and that it was your experience of being led in improvisational music that gave you a sense of something else out there. Were you raised as a secular humanist or was this a phase of your life or how did you get there? (laughs) No, I, I was raised Lutheran, Missouri Synod Lutheran, very strict and biblically literal. And I was also very interested in science. So by the time I was a teen, I had pretty much rejected everything that I had been taught about religion and really didn't want to have anything to do with it. It was interesting how I came around because I kind of came around kicking and screaming in some respects, but it was also almost like this coming out and it was almost more painful than sexual orientation coming out, really. I was also a activist, and I was doing activism work, and I was playing music. And one of the jobs that I had, I was working for Americans United for Separation of Church and State in Florida as an organizer. And one of the things they wanted me to do was to build a coalition of allied clergy members who were willing to speak out on issues related to separation of church and state. I found that that work, it was kind of intimidating. I was intimidated by the clergy because I didn't identify as a person of faith myself. At the same time, I was doing this music stuff that was very deep, but I was trying very hard not to think of it as religious or spiritual or anything like that. None of those scary things. But there was a group called the Humanists of Florida Association, and they invited me to come to their annual conference and give a talk. And they wanted me to speak about how they could partner with people of faith more effectively. Because these folks really had a lot of shared values, but they were coming at them from different angles. Speaking from my own experience, when I got up to the microphone to give my talk, I had a prepared message for them. And I started in and I said, well, if you really want to work with people of faith, you've got to get over the attitude that you project that you think they're stupid because that's what they pick up on. That when I, and that's what I was doing myself. I know that as a person without faith, I was projecting onto the people of faith that my sense of them was that they were believing something without any evidence. And that was what faith was. And so in my quest to be more effective, I said, you got to stop treating them like you think they're stupid. And at that point, I sort of like forgot that I had a text prepared. And I started to say that they may have evidence that's very personal, that maybe doesn't translate to you, but they may understand things differently in their hearts than you do. Just because you haven't experienced the same things that a person of faith has experienced doesn't mean that their experiences are invalid. And then I started to say, I I heard my, I heard these words come out of my mouth and I started to say, you know, go to an art museum and look at what you see 
and you see things there that are more beautiful than humans could actually conceive of. And go and, and play music, and you'll find that as a musician who is really in the flow of the music, you feel that the music doesn't come out of you, it moves through you. And as a musician myself, I realized that this thing that I was calling the muse, which was to me, I was thinking of the muse as a spark of inspiration, a spark of musical inspiration, an idea of of a path to try out. You may even think of it as a little spark of playfulness. And I would call that my muse or the muse. And I started to realize that here I was cultivating a relationship with this thing that had no form of reality, just the way my Christian friends were cultivating a relationship with Jesus. And I really wasn't all that different. And I actually heard these words come out of my mouth at a humanist conference oh, <laughs> in wow. a microphone. And I was, it was like coming out to myself in this room full of atheists. And it was, it was very frightening because I was like, oh, I just came out as a person of faith, didn't I? <laughs> Wow, that is a beautiful, beautiful story. So profoundly true. (laughs) Did you have to cover your face in shame, or or did you feel the full conviction of the ministry you were given? I didn't feel ashamed. I felt a little chagrined, because, you know, we get a little identified with our idea of who we are. And I also wasn't sure, you know, whether I would be allowed to eat the dry chicken at the the banquet later that night. (laughs) But people were very, you know, they were actually quite gracious and open-minded. And a few people came up to me and said, well, you know, you've given me some things to think about. So I'm sure that a lot of people thought that was from left field. We're not going to ask her again. But a few people might have felt like maybe there was an expansion there. It bothers me when I hear people talk about religion in a very narrow sense. Like, you know, like religion is just people who believe X or they believe what's written down in this particular book. And it's so much bigger than that. I often find myself saying, well, you know, there's more to religion than just the way fundamentalists are portrayed in the media, you know. There's a whole other thing there that is not necessarily going to stand up to your criticisms. Yeah, that's a hard one to get past for so many people, mm-hmm. particularly if they felt burned, as you may have felt by your childhood experience of religion. You probably also felt gifts of the community as well, but... I imagine that on an intellectual level, you probably felt slapped down more than once. Oh, yeah. Actually, I just wrote this story that hopefully will be published somewhere. Maybe I'll put it on my website that explains a, a situation where I was, uh, I was probably about 12 years old. And I was in a little singing group at my school, at the Trinity Lutheran School, called the Gospel Vibrations. I had bought a little set of bongo drums for $8 with my babysitting money. And the teacher said, Vaughn, you have some bongo drums, don't you? I'm like, yes. Well, you can bring them to the next practice, please. And I'm like, yay. And I spent the whole weekend practicing, playing along with the radio. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. But I was determined that I was going to do whatever it was. I was going to do it well. The next rehearsal came and I showed up with my bongo drums in a paper bag. You know, when it came time for that song, I went and got my drums and she said, oh, thank you so much. And she took them out of my hand and handed them to a boy. Oh. And I was so upset. And she, I tried to, you know, like, no, no, I'm supposed to play those. And she said, oh, no, Vaughn, girls can't play the drums in church. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess you could say I got a little burned. <laughs> Is that the point you became an ex-Lutheran? <laughs> no, not yet. No, it took a while. 
the ex-Lutheran thing came about because I really was pursuing a course of science. As a college student, I, and I went to graduate school to study science. Nothing gets to be true just because you say it's true or because somebody puts it in a book and says it's true. And so I became an ex-Lutheran because the evidence just wasn't holding up for me. Not to say that there aren't Lutherans for whom they find the evidence in their hearts. So that's not to say that there aren't valid Lutheran experiences. It just wasn't for me. It wasn't working. At that point in my life, anyway. Well, our clock has wound down. Maybe we can have one more short piece. Could we finish off your Song of the Soul, Vaughn, with one more? Well, here's a, here's a very fun little piece called Zoo Grass. Now, on this one, I'm actually playing a mountain dulcimer along with some looped percussion. But the mountain dulcimer is not being played in its usual way, as you might expect. I was actually really wanting to have a, a Chapman stick, and I didn't have a Chapman stick. So I was trying to figure out if I could play a mountain dulcimer as if it were a Chapman stick by tapping on the fretboard rather than strumming it. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yep, sounds like Von knew. So, folks, we're going to finish off today's Song of the Soul with Von New by playing a piece called Zoo Grass. Go to our site, vonnew.com. Follow the link from nordenspiritradio.org. In any case, Von, it's been a delight to get to know you and your sense of following true leadings through music. Thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. Thanks, Mark. It's been great. Zoo Grass by Von New. Theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can 